Matthew chapter 7, we will look at verses 24 through 27 this morning. We are continuing in our series on Christian assurance, and our title of our sermon this morning is Building on the Rock. Our key words for our worshipers and training are rock, wise, and word. In August of 1173, construction began on a bell tower to accompany the public cathedral in the Italian riverside city of Pisa. And by 1178, the tower was built to the third story, but by then had already had a noticeable slant to it. Now, military conflicts with other Italian states stopped the progress of building for quite some time. It wasn't resumed again for another 100 years in 1272. This time, the construction went on for for up to 12 years. It was once again stopped because of a war. And the final push to finish the tower was in the early 1300s, but it wasn't completed until the bell was installed in the bell tower in 1372. Well, you, of course, know this tower by its famous name, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now, when the tower was built, it was not built with a lean in mind. Every architect who has studied the tower has concluded that the lean of the tower was completely avoidable had the original designers used better planning. The tower was built on a shallow foundation, on extremely soft ground. It was made up of sand and clay and deposits from the nearby rivers. The ground was too unstable to support the structure they were building, which was obvious from the very beginning of the construction. And so as the building was added to over the years, the additional weight obviously didn't help the lean at all. The stacking of additional stories jostled the center of gravity. It caused a reversal of direction in its tilt. And so for some time, it actually tilted to the other side of where it currently is. And of course, with added weight and, and time and weather conditions, the tilt gradually increased. It was thought to, at one point, be about 0.2 degrees It now rests at five and a half degrees of tilt. In 1990, a team sought to come and and anchor the tower, but their efforts were not entirely successful. By 2008, another effort was made by balancing the foundational soil. For now, it is believed that the tower will stay put for another 200 years or so. Now, the reality of the Leaning Tower of Pisa is that John Berland, who was the engineer who worked on the original design of the tower, was not the prime candidate to be building it. Later, he admitted that soil mechanics, the area of engineering that played a vital role in stabilizing the tower, was his worst subject in his undergraduate studies. Now, this, of course, is very important information and not necessarily something you want to overlook on a guy's resume if he's building a massive tower. But Berlin is a good example for all of us. His shortcoming is a reminder of how important the foundation is. We can have the most beautiful, elaborate structures in the world designed with the most detailed design every square inch of the building, but if it's not on a solid foundation, if it is on a faulty foundation, there is very little hope that this will stay upright over time. 
But more importantly, as we consider our own lives, we can achieve great things. We can have many academic degrees. We can wear the finest clothes. We can have the most sculpted bodies. We can have more money than we could ever spend. But in the end, if the foundation is faulty, everything will come crashing down. What assurance do you have that you will stand That as something comes and and pushes and prods and pokes and seeks to tip you over, how do you know that you're not going to fall? Well, Christians can have that kind of assurance. And and as we continue in this short series on on assurance, we're, we're going to consider what kind of foundation we are building our lives upon. Are you building on a solid rock foundation? Or are you building on shifting sands? Will you stand straight? Or will there be a constant lean? When trials and persecution and suffering and difficult circumstances and temptations come your way in life, will you stand or will you fall? And how do you know? Let's read together Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the rock. On the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The first thing for us to see in verses 24 and 25 is that Christians must put all of their hope in a firm foundation. Now, last time when we looked, we began looking at this issue of assurance, we said there is a certainty that we can have regarding our salvation. We looked at several evidences in a Christian life to determine that we are indeed in the faith. Remember, we said that those words of of 1 John, as he wrote his letter, he said that he wrote so that believers in Christ, the children of God, would know, that they would know that they are in the faith, that we want that. That's, That's the banner that flies over these series of sermons, that we would think about that, that we would be able to walk away from all of this and that we would know that we know that we know that we are in Jesus Christ if we truly are. And if we're not, that the Lord would confront us in His Word and that He might be pleased to give us new life in Christ. We want, though, as Christians, we want to have confidence in all of God's promises and to know that we are resting in Him when trials come and temptations arise. So this morning, as we consider assurance, I want to talk about the terms of our standing, how we stand, or better, what we stand on and whether or not we will stay upright as we stand there. So very practically, I hope that you will think about your own life. How are you faring in this fallen world? How are you making it through all of the trials and all of the temptations that come your way? So Jesus here provides us with something of a parable, a very simple story. We have two men, each of them building a house, one on a rock, one on sand, 
One he calls wise and the other he calls foolish. And he relates all of this to hearing and doing what he has said. To hear and do what Christ has said is wise, and to hear and not do what Christ has said is foolish. It's simple. It's, it's straightforward, but it has a profound implication on how we live our lives as believers. What are the things that happen in our lives that shake our foundation, that cause us to doubt our standing with Christ, that threaten our assurance? What are those things? I hope all of us will think about that in our own lives. What threatens my assurance? All of us have different reasons. But in general, it's safe to say that the most common reason that we doubt our assurance are because of something we have done in sin or when the circumstances around us are overtaking us to the point where we're doubting God's nearness to us or His, or His goodness in our lives. And this assertion that Jesus is making in this parable is that when those situations arise, when we have sin in our lives that is is crippling and we don't don't deal with it the right way, or when we're tempted and, and our circumstances arise, or we face suffering and much trial and persecution, all of the floods will come, the winds will blow, we must stand on a firm foundation or we will fall. Now, a Christian, a Christian builds upon the solid foundation of Christ and His Word, not just professing to know Him, but coming to Him, hearing from Him, doing as He commands. As He Himself has said, if you love me, you will do what I command. And that person will stand faithfully. That person, as we talked about last week, is showing evidence of their standing faithfully. The floods will rise, the streams will break, the waves will crash, but faithful Christians will stand upon the rock and will not be shaken. And yet we know, all of us know, that our own experience sometime is that the ground seems to be shifting and we have a hard time keeping our balance. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, you know, really in the end, the only thing that matters is that someone knows the basic truth that Jesus died for their sins and that we are forgiven and have faith in Him. In other words, God has given us 66 books to reveal to us all that He wants us to know about Himself and His work throughout all of human history, but all you need to know is that you are a sinner, that you believe in Jesus, and that you confess to Him and everything else will be fine. Now, maybe you're hearing me and saying, that's, that's right. What's wrong with that? And you're right. There's, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. However, I want you to try to imagine yourself sitting eyeball to eyeball with your doctor. And he tells you, at most, you have three months to live. Or when you're faced with miscarriage, your spouse dies, your job's taken out from under your feet, your house is burned to the ground, I assure you that you are going to want a more firm, more robust foundation than someone simply saying to you, Jesus loves you and everything's going to be fine. Is that true? Yes, that's true. Sure, that's true, but is that enough? 
If it's enough, most of our Bibles, most of what we have here is a waste of paper and space and study and intellectual exertion that we would know something of this Christ. Do I want to know He loves me? Yes. Is that profound and important and necessary? Yes. But how does He love me? And how do I love Him? And how do I stand when everything around me comes crashing down? You see, the point is that when life gets real, cliche, bumper sticker Christianity isn't going to give you much confidence. It's not going to bolster your assurance because without any further knowledge, without any real substance, you don't really have anything to stand on at all. All you're left with is is your feelings. And when your feelings take precedence over what? The Lord has revealed for us to know and to believe. It won't take long before your foundation crumbles when all of those waves come crashing in. Your feelings are not reliable. You cannot be assured of anything if you're simply depending on them. Here's one of the cold, hard realities of my job as your pastor. It is to prepare you and I day after day and week after week to face suffering and death in a way that glorifies God and that you don't sink when the waters come up around your neck. Jesus is so intent on ensuring us that if we are standing upon his words, upon his commandments, upon his promises, and we are living our lives in such a way that we are fulfilling the very things that he has called us to, that we will be ready. How do you know that Jesus loves you and everything is going to be fine? When you walk one morning, when you walk into your child's room to wake them up and they're not going to wake up, How do you know that Jesus loves you and everything's going to be fine? Because he's given you a whole lot more than that to hang on to. Because he's shown you time and time again in the scriptures that his people have been backed against the wall and he provided. Because he has shown you that in the midst of the most fearful times in the lives of his people that he has showed up and he's provided everything they could have possibly needed and he gave grace and he gave mercy and he gave comfort. Because he promised that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. Because he's proven time after time after time that when his people are unfaithful that he remains faithful, that he continues to gather his bride and bring her home. Because he has shown us that he alone holds all of the power over sin and death and he alone is the king who conquers over every rival power in the universe that may seek to stand in the way of your assurance because he has promised that whether tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword shall come your way that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what it means when we say that Jesus loves us. Those words, that description from God's word is what I can stand upon. Does Jesus love me? And can I know that everything's going to be fine? 
Yes, how? Because he's explained how. Listen, that doesn't mean that next time you do something really stupid and sinful that you're not going to struggle hard with wondering why God would do anything other than destroy you. It doesn't mean that when you get the news that things aren't good with your health or when you have a really hard day or a hard week disciplining your children or interacting with your boss or your coworkers, it doesn't mean that every struggle that we're trying to understand that we're not going to be asking God a lot of questions and wondering what he's doing. But what it does mean is that you have enough of God in his word and in your heart that you will be able to stand because you know that you are united to Christ. And you know if you're communing with God, if you're using all of the means God has given you to have communion with Him, you know. You know who your firm foundation is. And He calls you not to dwell in your circumstances, but to set your eyes on Him no matter what's going on around you. Well, what's the alternative to that? It's this second man in his story in verses 26 and 27. It's our second point this morning. Without a firm foundation, everything will be destroyed. If we are building our lives upon lesser things than Christ and his gospel, and that's everything else, the constantly shifting sands are going to give way when a storm comes through. If our hope is that everything is going to be fine in the end because we have a fat fat retirement account or a nice house or the best medical care or insurance, our, our lives are going to look like a hurricane just swept through and we lived in a sheet metal shack. This is Jesus' illustration. If we're building on this this loose, sandy ground, a life that knows nothing of God's Word, a a life where we have no real knowledge of God's promises, if if we don't know what the evidences of assurance are in our lives... Or more devastatingly, if we if we live lives where we have no real communion with God whatsoever, we're gonna get pulled away from ever having our minds set on the things of God. And when trials come, when difficulties arise, when temptation is in our face, we're going to struggle to think and to pray and to listen and to hear and to work out all that God has given us in His Word. You know, brothers and sisters, we hear a lot of sermons as Christians, and hopefully we're reading books and, of course, our Bibles. We're listening to people talk about the Scriptures and we're having conversations about the Scriptures and about the things of God. And sometimes we may hear them and think, I don't know, this doesn't really here in this moment, in this time, this doesn't really apply to what's going on in my life. And it might not. However, every little step along the way, the Lord is adding to your life and preparing you for all that He has for you in the days to come. Every interaction with God's Word, as it is preached, as it is read, as it is spoken, is adding, and it is growing, and it is this snowball rolling down the hill, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and eventually we will find that God's Word and all that He has taught us is where it needs, when it needs to be there, that we can stand. But if we just write it off and say... It doesn't apply to me. It's not what I'm going through right now. It's not growing me here and now. When the time comes, we will have nothing 
will have no sure footing. Everything that comes into that kind of life is going to shake and eventually break what's built on top of it. Let me, let me help us think about this in theological terms and then we'll deal with it practically. From, from the day you and I are born, every single one of us has within us a heart that is set on the law. I will say here, most of what I'm going to say right now, I've learned from, a, from Murray Brett, and he's here today. I just, this has profoundly impacted my life. And when we think about where we are in terms of our hearts and the legality of our hearts, we, we do these things that come to us naturally on the basis of the law. Listen, you and I, we know, if you have children, you know this, you don't have to do anything to become self-willed and self-righteous. It's who you are. It's who I am. It's our fallen nature. All of us are constantly, and this is why every world religion works on this system, seeking to earn our salvation by our works. But you see, the problem for Christians... And the reason we, we struggle to find our footing on solid ground and to find assurance is not because when it comes to the Bible that we, that we become legalistic about doctrine. We may have the best doctrine in the world and be able to explain it and have conversations about it. But, but the, the issue is the practice of our legal hearts. Not, practical, not doctrinal legalists, but practical legalists. You can talk about the gospel. You can explain the gospel. You can even discuss the implications of the gospel when it comes to working that out in your own life. That you work it out as one who's focused on self, who's seeking to stand on your own. And the foundation is of your own building and not of Christ. And so a weak foundation is one of two things. One, it is either something other than God and the gospel altogether, and that is unbelief. I'm building my faith, all my hope, all my assurance on the things of the world. Or it's a false notion that God himself, that God wants me to live out of this legal heart. And that his heart is, is small and restrictive toward me, and so that when I'm trying to stand upon him, that it's always about doing more and trying harder so that I can make myself look worthy in my own eyes and in the eyes of others. Well, what does this do? Well, well believing these kinds of lies makes us to turn in on ourselves and to look to ourselves. Where is my hope found now? It's not on the word of Christ. It's not on the hope of the gospel. It's not on the, the grace that is poured out on me over and over and over again. My hope, my hope is found now looking at myself. And so I become really rigid and strict with myself. And I create laws for myself outside of God's word. I create the system of doing my life so that I never step out of bounds. And when I do, I find ways to flog myself and to damage myself 
before God because he will want to see that I'm serious. Or the other side of that is that I just give up altogether. And so I just live my life in greater and greater sin. I don't want to be (coughs) uptight about all of this holiness stuff, so I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. And so we either drive into deeper practical legalism or we just give up altogether and we nosedive into licentiousness. Neither one of those is good. Neither one of those is better than the other. If you're thinking, well, I'd rather be a legalist than licentious, then you're probably a legalist. (laughs) If you're thinking, I'd rather be licentious than be a legalist, then you're probably licentious. But we convince ourselves. We convince ourselves that God is unjust. And so we live under this this bondage, this bondage of our own hearts. And, And instead of living by faith in Christ, instead of standing upon the foundation of what He has accomplished in His life and His death and His burial and His resurrection, instead of living upon the truth of the gospel and all of the grace that is ours found therein, We live by the flesh, and we try to offer either legal obedience or we simply live as we want and say that grace will cover it all. We make a mockery of what God has done. Brothers and sisters, if we are to stand, we must stand not on our own self-worth, not on our own self-righteousness, Yes, God has revealed His law to us, and it is vitally important. It is the rule of life that He gives to us that we might live upon it. But how am I going to do that? I'm only going to do that when I know the freedom that is found in Christ alone. You see, what's ironic in all of this is that in order for us to stand on a firm foundation and to obey God, to look at Christ's Word and do what He says... If I'm going to do that, if I'm going to stand, what must I do first? I must fall. I have to fall in my own eyes. I have to fall down. That the only place I can look is up. And when we come to faith in Christ, we say this often. It's interesting, as Christians, we we acknowledge that in order to come to Christ... What must we admit about ourselves? That we are broken, needy sinners. That we need a righteousness that's not ours. We need one who has died to rescue us and to bring us to himself. And then we become Christians and what do we do? We try to live not upon that, but upon ourselves. Because we're so attracted to our old nature, continuing to pull us back, continuing to give life to the old man. But the way to stand is to fall, to die to ourself daily, that we might live standing upon Christ. And brothers and sisters, only when we've died to ourselves 
can we stand on solid ground. Only when we've died to ourselves can we find our footing in the trials and the challenges that come our way in life. Only when we've died to ourselves can we have real, lasting, abiding assurance of our salvation in Christ. Because I'm reminded time and time again as I've died to myself that I live not to myself, but I'm held up, I'm supported, I'm carried along by Christ and not what I can do or not what I have done. And likewise, when I sin, I'm reminded yet again, over and over again, that Christ has died to set me free from the bondage that comes because of sin. Now, it's easy. It's easy for us to sort of hide these things, to put up uh, this, this veneer of performance that others can see, And so others around us might esteem us highly and think us holy. But God knows. And you know. You know your heart before the Lord and He knows it better. But it's our tendency. It's our tendency to trust in our own standing. (coughs) And when we trust in ourselves, we make very little of what Christ has done in making us new creations. We have to see that in our self-righteousness that we can so doubt the truth of what Christ has done in the gospel that we live as if it's not true at all. And so, of course, when we, when we sin, if we're, if we're looking to ourselves, of course when we sin, our, our foundation is shaken because all of a sudden I'm reminding myself that you can't do this. God's not going to love you anymore. God's not going to take care of you anymore. All of the benefits of Christ are not yours anymore. Mm. And yet Christ has told us that all who come to me I will in no way cast out. That if you are in Christ, your sins have been separated from Him, from what it is that he sees you as, as far as the east is from the west. That you have been made new in Jesus Christ. And so when you sin, is there guilt? Yes. You are guilty. And yet the gospel reminds me that before God, he declares me not guilty. Why? Is it because of what I've done? Is it because of how I lived before Him? Is it because I looked at His commands and did exactly what they said in the best way I knew how? No. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him I might receive. I might be resting in, standing upon, living in, communing with God because of the righteousness of Christ. And if you are a Christian and you live under the weight of condemnation because of sin or you look to God's word and to all that God has commanded and you just pass it off and say it doesn't matter, in both ways you're ending up in the same place and your foundation is weak. We must demonstrate before ourselves again and again what we see in God's Word. 
the truth and the reality of it all is that we need more of Christ. So you see, if you're truly in Christ and you don't have assurance, it's not, it's not just pride and rebellion against the gospel. It's, it's not that we're just not living in light of who God is and what He has done, but we are denying God Himself. We're not living in communion with the One who has given us all that we need to commune with Him. And so we're taken away by our suffering and by our trials and our temptations. And, and so we live under the bondage of sin. We forget the sovereignty of God. And we look to ourselves and what we can do. We have to know. We have to know. If we are to have assurance, we have to know that Christ has given all that we might live. That I can live before God naked and unashamed because of what Christ has done. Brothers and sisters, only two houses are being built. Those with firm foundations and those without. Which house is yours? And if we're going to gain assurance, where, where do we begin? Well, we have to begin with what Jesus says. We have to come to Him. We have to hear His Word. We have to rest in and upon Him and not ourselves. Not our efforts. Not our own abilities. Not in trying to impress anyone. Not trying to prove ourselves better than the next guy that God should take notice of it. No. We need to let go of ourselves and hold on to Christ alone. Jesus made it so clear when He was asked, the, the disciples asked Him, what must we do to do the works that God requires. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we sang just moments ago, we sang, be gone, unbelief. That's not just a prayer for the unregenerate. That's a prayer for each and every one of us, that the unbelief in our hearts would be gone, that we might believe fully upon Christ not one of us will do anything God requires with perfection. We will fail time and time and time again, which makes it so difficult for me to really believe that Christ will accept me because I know God's standard, but He does. He does. I'm accepted by God because of the perfect work of Christ. Because He lived a perfect law-fulfilling life. Because He died the death I deserve. Because He was raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. And only when I take hold of that and live upon that can I be assured of the righteousness that I stand upon. That's not my own, but His alone. It's an immovable, irreplaceable rock. Believe God. Take in all of His Word. Rest in His promises. Delight in the life that is truly yours. And have communion with Him. Rest in Him. Go before God. If you are His child, you have nothing to fear. Troubling days will come. It's promised to us. But with Christ and His righteousness under our feet, we have a place to stand and we cannot ultimately be taken down. Now friends, some of you here this morning are building on a faulty foundation, not because you're Christians who are struggling, but because you do not have Christ in your life at all. And so the only foundation that you can truly have is yourself and your works and the things of this world. 
And my prayer and my call to you this morning is that you would turn to Christ by faith, that you would trust in Him and what He has accomplished, that you may have true life, repenting of your sins and following after Him, submitting yourself to the only King who is Jesus, so that when trials come your way, when temptation is before you, and when someone says, Jesus loves you, and everything's going to be fine, that that means a whole lot more to you than what you read on a bumper sticker. That it means that I know, that I know, that I know who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished and how he loves me and why he loves me, knowing it has nothing to do with me being me. It has everything to do with Christ being Christ for me. I pray, brothers and sisters, that we would build our lives not on our own foundations of sinking sand, but on the foundation of Christ that we might have full assurance of life everlasting for our own good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and for the reminder from your word that our hope, our assurance is on a firm foundation who is Christ and his righteousness alone. And so we pray, O God, that you would help us as your people to build our lives upon your word, upon your promises, upon all that you have said that you will be and do for your people. And for those who are in Christ that know what you have been and done for us as your people. And so we pray, O oh God, that as we receive your word this morning, that you would plant it deep in us, and that as we each consider the foundation upon which we stand, that we would see Christ beneath us, Christ beside us, Christ over us, Christ within us, that we might become more like him. And that as the trials and temptations and suffering and sorrow seek to overtake us in this life, as the world and the flesh and the devil all come against us, that we not fall, but that we stand forever in him alone. And we pray, O oh God, you would do this for your glory and for the building up of your church. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.